Good morning and welcome to the Daily Cast on the 5th of May 2021. I'm Brian Byrne and this is the Kilcullen Diaries Morning Podcast. Shortly we'll be remembering the novelist Kate O'Brien and delving into the magic of a modern small rural school. But first, the weather. It'll be a mix of sunny spells and partly cloudy through the day. Showers beginning at lunchtime will persist through the afternoon. The highest temperatures are around 10 degrees in light to moderate breezes from the west. Our person of interest this morning is Kate O'Brien, novelist, playwright and journalist, who, among other issues, campaigned against book banning by the Irish state. She was born in Limerick City in 1897, the youngest of four girls, and was sent with her sisters to boarding school at the very young age of five following the death of their mother. She eventually graduated from UCD in 1919. After working for a year as a teacher in London, she moved to Spain's Basque country to work as a governess, where she began to write fiction. She had success with a play in 1926 and subsequently became a full-time writer. Kate O'Brien had a great love of Spain, but when her 1936 novel Mary Lavelle was banned there, and in Ireland, her very evident Republican sympathies resulted in her effective banishment from Spain by Franco. The cause of the book being banned in Ireland was its theme of an Irish governess deliberately engaging in an illicit affair in Spain. A later book in 1942, also banned in Ireland, The Land of Spices, had a reference to male homosexuality, which was enough in those days to rise the ire of the Free State Board of Censors. A 1946 novel, That Lady, was set in 16th century Spain, with a plot of a love entanglement from real life involving King Philip II of Spain and a widowed princess. It proved to be her biggest commercial success. In addition to nine novels, she was the author of a large portfolio of plays, film scripts, biographies and travel writing. Kate wrote a regular column for the Irish Times in the crossover years of the late 1960s and early 70s. There's also a substantial body of essays and critiques from others about her own life and works. Kate O'Brien died in England in 1974 in relatively poor circumstances, her books no longer popular. But they were revived in the 1980s by feminist scholars and reprinted by publishers such as Arlen House in Dublin and Virago in London. Since 1984 in Limerick, what began as a Kate O'Brien weekend has become the annual Limerick Literary Festival in her honour. Now to our feature of the day. And it will shortly be coming to the end of the third school year at Brannockstown Community National School since it reopened in September 2018 under the patronage of the Kildare and Wicklow Education and Training Board. Originally established in 1885 as a Baptist school, it became a Catholic national school in 1929, and following a short period of closure in 2017, has continued an adventurous existence through the current pandemic and a flood over Christmas, which has necessitated a complete refit of the interior. In an upcoming issue of The Bridge, Principal and Senior Room Teacher Sarah Fitzpatrick describes the magic of learning at Brannockstown CNS. (laughs) 
it has. It's been full on magical in all the wonderful ways that you can predict and lots of ways that you can't predict as well. Um, I suppose for myself as Principal Brian, a lot of the magic is to do with, we've all had an experience of starting something new. That feeling of, you know, when you started school, a new school year, when you were a child, the fresh copy books and the fresh pencil cases and, and the great sense of excitement about something new. Um, so a lot of the magic has come from being able to start something new. Um, uh, that wasn't necessarily associated with the history of the closure of the school, but actually starting afresh. Um, and we're learning as we go. So a, a lot of the excitement is very much planned. Um, the idea that we're both about the act of hands-on learning, but also very high standards, and you can achieve both. You don't have to be one or, or the other. Um, and then some of the magic also, I suppose, comes from the unpredicted. Um, the lovely connections that you make along the way with the community, with various groups, with visiting experts who have lots to contribute to the learning journey that you're on with children. In comparison to schools of many decades ago, and indeed of my own generation, the schoolroom of today is a much happier place for all involved, children and educators. We're very fortunate to live in a time uh, when we know that the priority is for for all of us humans, especially children, to be well and, you know, to grow up happy and in joyful environments. And, and that really is the first step to everything else. Uh, the idea that, you know, you're healthy, you're clothed, you've had a, a, a good meal coming to school, you've, you've a good meal in school. But all of these things are so integral to, to we know now, to children's well-being. So Brannockstown CNS is a happy place. Um, we support all children to grow in competence and confidence. We want every child to flourish as a learner, but also as an individual. Um, I suppose what we've said in, in some of our having to, to kind of come up with as a new school, what is it that we're for? Well, we've said clearly that we support every child to be their very, very best self. Um, and that we're doing this through hands-on learning um, so that children can achieve high standards in all they do at, at our school. But actually, I, I wouldn't stop short there. Um, I would apply all of that to adults as well. Um, it's equally important for me as principal that the staff are very happy, that they look forward to coming to school, and that others who visit the school, whether they're guests or visitors, everybody invited in now uh, by appointment with COVID, but that everybody has a, a positive experience of engaging with us. Um, so joy and happiness and fun and learning and love of learning and cultivating all of that, that's very much the ethos of what we're about at Brannockstown. Even in the small school which Brannockstown is, how much of a challenge is it to assess and achieve the best possible development of the young individuals in the classrooms? Yeah, I think it's a challenge and an opportunity. Um, every child comes with their own history, their own interests, their own curiosities. And of course, every child joins a class which has a particular set of outcomes, curriculum outcomes associated with that stage of learning. And, and in between where the child is at and, and all of the aspirations you have for the child and, and what they will achieve in language and maths, 
you travel a journey with the child so that the assessment really is fundamental um, our special education teacher has set up some I suppose very fundamental and important assessments that, that are not just um, in the traditional sense you know children asking questions that are also based very much on, on observational data as well as data from you know from assessments from standardized tests from teacher observation from from what the child does and, and so all the time we're trying to build up a, a good picture a rounded picture of where the child is at in his or her lear learning in order to best support whoever he or she is to kind of move on to the next step um, but actually that's a lot of the excitement for me um, I have 10 children in the senior room and prepared the homework packs for after this May break um, on Thursday last week they went out on Friday and even though I have 10 children across three classes every child had a different version of the homework pack so the, I suppose the joy in a small school is that once you really get to know the child you, you get to know that the next steps that will enable him or her to progress you know maybe more quickly and in line with where they're at so they, they all get to the major milestones but they get there in their own way. Sarah Fitzpatrick, as a child, went to a small rural school. And part of her career before Brannockstone was associated with the development of the Patron Programme for Community National Schools. In that, she worked with many small schools around the country. So, three years ago, she was well prepared for a small school challenge. But were there enough parents who felt the same way? I came to principal in Brannockstown CNS living not too far away but without any particular connections with the village community it's, itself um, it strikes me when I look at our enrolment now an enrolment of 35 that we have families who have travelled from four counties obviously Kildare but also Carlow and Wicklow and Dublin so we have families who tell us that they travel 40 or 45 minutes to get to our school because they believe strongly in the opportunities their children have at Brannockstown CNS. So there's something about a, a small school being, being held up to account, I think, that is important. I, I think every school, whether it's large or small, must be, uh, I think the old phrase the IPPN used was educationally viable. But I very much agree with that. I, I think that whether you're big or small or whatever, you know, whatever your, your nature or your ethos of your school is, that it's fundamentally important that what you do, you do very, very well and that you've high ambitions and goals for all of your children, you know, and that staff are supported to, to be their very best. I suppose that the real bonus of working in a small community, being a small school in a community, is the tremendous potential for connection with the families of the school. You, you get to know them. I think that bit more intimately around their child's needs and strengths and so on than you would do in a large school. Um, but then further afield, that you get to, to connect in with the members of the community. We, we've been so, so fortunate in, in reopening the school. I, you know, I couldn't begin to, uh, I suppose, sum up the, the goodwill from the community towards myself and, and colleagues. Um, but as an example, I suppose that the Brannockstown Village Committee and within that the Tidy Towns Group um, have been wonderfully supportive to us and, and, you know, in small ways and in big ways also. Um, logistics around looking after the school window boxes, making sure the school looks lovely for the community, contributing to a new wormery for the community, offering help when the, the 
the school needs to be painted. Um, and alongside that, the lovely connections that you get to make with the people involved. And, and we were part of the, the more recent submission for the Brannock Town Tidy Towns grant as well. Um, I think small schools are very, very special places on top of all of the things that schools ordinarily do, whatever their size, to do the very best they can for all children in their care. After the closure of Brannockstown School in 2017, the local community had put a lot of effort into making sure it would reopen. For the new team, was there a plan? And did things work out according to that plan? I was aware that in a sense there were high stakes, that the community had very clearly voted to, to open this school as kind of the, the heartbeat almost of, of the community. Um, so did I have a plan? Absolutely. You plan, I suppose, in everything you do to be as successful for the people around you as, as you can be, to make the greatest contribution you can make and to be entirely open to the learning along the way. Uh, there was a lot of learning and I think there was probably a slow start as well. Uh, there was the almost the irony of a school being reopened, but, but almost with very few pupils. Um, that year was lost when the school was closed and, and understandably children who had attended the school had had to move on and, and find places in other schools locally. Uh, so it was an unusual starting point for a new school. A new school often begins with a baby boom and a proven need and you know it really escalates from there very quickly in terms of enrolment. Um, so I suppose I, I, I've mentioned the, the families coming to us from the four counties is probably a testament to, to what people see that we're doing that they, that they like um, and probably what families see as the evolution of the school in ways that I'm, if I can say that I'm very proud of, that I'm very happy with. Obviously we have a tremendous board of management and a wonderful staff so it's always a team effort. But if you're asking me myself about the plan at the time and, and where we are now, I think I look back with um, a great sense of achievement in terms of what I've learned along the way, but also what we've established. A flood at Christmas damaged the interior of the main school buildings. Paradoxically, fixing that allowed the provision of a brighter and more interactive premises for all involved. The next stage is the refurbishment of the original school building, which is literally the foundation of schooling at Brannockstown. Reading the history of the building, um, imagining the stone of Portlister Castle, which was actually used to, to build the new schoolhouse, and you know the excitement there must have been around around that time when when it was um, when it was being built. So um, yeah, there's great excitement to have a, a buzz of activity coming from that building again to make sure that it's fit for purpose. Obviously, the current work is to ensure that it's as safe as it can be, um, and it's getting a full makeover. So I think it's uh, it's wonderful to see a new journey for the building, just as we're seeing kind of a new journey for the children in, in their learning adventures. The principal of Brannockstown Community National School, Sarah Fitzpatrick, along with her pupils and staff, still on her own journey of learning. Now to our look at the outside news of the day. On the Leinster Leader, there's a report of how two men were detained by Nace as they were allegedly trying to steal money from a collection box in a local church. They had, it seems, taken up pliers from a local hardware store beforehand. The paper also highlights the recent national report that cannabis represents the gravest threat to the mental health of Ireland's young people. 
The Kildare Nationalist goes big with the Kildare South Sinn Féin TD Patricia Ryan's call for protection of the tower and archaeological heritage on the Hill of Allen from any further damage. And KFM Radio headlines that Kildare's COVID-19 incidence is second only to Donegal's. That's not a comfortable place to be. On the Nationals, RTE gives prominence to a report from the Ombudsman that younger people who are living in nursing homes have wasted lives and are not getting proper support from the state. That's also the focus of the lead in the Examiner, which headlines the report as damning. The Irish Times leads with that affordable housing plan and its related price caps, and The Independent, in its main story, reveals the county's least and worst hit by Covid since the start of the pandemic. And that's where we'll leave it for today's Daily Cast. I'm Brian Byrne. This is Kilcullen Diary. Have a lovely day and thanks for listening.